This is Agent Carter on Defenders TV Podcast, Season 1, Episode 2, Bridge and Tunnel. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast. This is episode 21 of Defenders TV Podcast, where we will be looking at Agent Carter, uh, episode 2 of season 1, and that is called Bridge and Tunnel. And it's been a very hectic bit of uh, scheduling recently, what with the Ant-Man movie out, as well as now looking at the Sunday broadcast of Agent Carter on Fox TV in the UK and Ireland. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm Derek, your other host. Uh, Welcome back. Yeah, but a good week, though. Really, Yeah, a good week. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Ant-Man, fantastic, of course. I thought it was really, really good. Wasn't entirely sure what to expect. Obviously, maybe a slightly troubled and extended production and writing period with Edgar Wright being let go um, quite late in the day, but... Um, you can hear all our thoughts um, on defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Our podcast is up there. You can also check us out on any other good podcast catcher. Just search Defenders TV Podcast on Stitcher or Player FM, for example. And, of course, um, you can follow us whilst we tweet furiously um, about Agent Carter on Sundays in the UK and Ireland um, at Defenders Cast. Yeah, it was great fun actually on Sunday night. Yeah, yeah really good. Speak to some of the UK fans who haven't seen the show before, and uh, and some of them just getting really into the into Agent Carter. Understandably so. If you want to send us your feedback, you can send it to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. We'll have some feedback coming up later in the episode after we talk about this week's episode of Agent Carter. John, do you want to let us know what we got in this episode with your synopsis? Howard Stark's deadliest weapon has gone missing, falling into enemy hands. Posing as a health inspector, Agent Carter visits the Daisy Clover Dairy Company and discovers the decaying Vita radiation signal left behind by the Nantramine. In so doing, she learns the name of both the quiet man, Leet Branis, who stole the Nitramine, and his accomplice, the Daisy Clover truck driver, Sheldon McPhee. As she tracks down the whereabouts of Branis and McPhee with the assistance of Edwin Jarvis, the Strategic Scientific Reserve, SSR, Chief Dooley and Agents Thompson and Sousa also hone in on the two suspects after a visit to Roxon's CEO, Hugh Jones, about his chemical plant's implosion. However, another quiet man, the man in the green suit, is also hunting Branis and ambushes Carter, Jarvis and Branis as they attempt to make safe the nitramine consignment. As Carter fends off the quiet man, the truck plunges over a cliff and into a lake. Branis, who is mortally wounded, draws a strange symbol in the roadside dirt as the impact of the truck in the lake causes the weapons to implode, killing the man in the green suit. Despite the risk to Carter's undercover mission from the SSR, she believes that the other SSR agents have no evidence of her connection to this case. However, unbeknownst to her, Agent Krasminski finds an unexpected lead in the Roxon refinery debris. Oh yeah, yeah, really good episode this week. A nice, uh, nice investigation episode. Lots of crossed paths between the main characters. Yeah, really enjoyed. A it. lot going on, definitely. Um, but a, a good, solid episode after that first episode, which as well was really good. So mm-hmm. it's nice to see the quality, um, you know, staying up there. Really, definitely. Yeah. And yeah. it's good to see Agent Carter in her, you know, kick-ass. Uh, frame of mind still absolutely yeah absolutely her classy kick-ass frame of mind i would hasten to add very much so very much so i think one of those reasons uh, that the quality is kept up actually leads into my first point about this week's episode uh, if you only listen to us for the first time for agent carter you may not know but the way we cover our episodes is to take five points um, that each of us have about the episode discuss through them and that way hopefully cover off the full episode of the show and um, so my first point is about the team behind this particular episode which I thought was a really interesting point this week. Uh, the director of the episode was Mr. Joe Russo. You may remember him as the director, or one of the two directors, of Captain America Winter Soldier, one of my favourite Marvel films so far. He's also in line to direct Avengers Infinity War, the end of Phase 3 of Marvel movies, so he's got a schedule planned out for a couple of years in advance, but they were able to squeeze in a directing role for Agent Carter for him here. I think he does a really good job. 
Uh, also on that creative team, we have Eric Pearson. Didn't recognize the name myself. I did have to look him up, but uh, really, really connected writer for Marvel. He's written three of the one shots that, you, that we've seen on the DVDs and probably the one that caused the actual Agent Carter series. He wrote the Agent Carter one shot. He wrote Item 47, which was the one about the uh, the two kids that find some of the tech after the Avengers battle in New York. And he also w- wrote the excellent Agent Coulson short, uh, A Funny Thing Happened on, a way, on the Way to Thor's Hammer. Do you remember that one? I do, yeah. yeah. Really good, really, really good. Really yeah. good, funny one, yeah, where, uh, where we get to see some kick-ass Coulson for the first time, uh, which we've now seen many times now in the, in the three seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, really good. So, yeah, good quality brought to this episode. And again, following on from Joe Johnson last week, who was the director of Captain America, the first Avenger, it's kind of good to see that we have uh, that we have some of the other connected players from the Marvel writing staff and directing staff on board for this episode. John, what's your first point about this one? My first point is about the Captain America adventure program on the radio, or should I call it the wireless mm-hmm. um, in 1940s speak? Um I thought it was really good. I thought there were a number of things. Like, this is a really action-packed adventure, yet this whole program on the radio really did kind of connect back to another way of just showing the prejudice against uh, women at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly women who were looking to be professional workers um, and, and step out of their assigned role by a, you know, a heavily dominated male society. And again, we have it really neatly played here with um, throughout the whole series where it contrasts uh, between Peggy Carter, what we're seeing in reality as such, and then Betty Carver, mm-hmm. who is her alter ego, um, played on the Captain America Adventure program on, on the radio. And just the contrast between the two, that you know, Peggy Carter's investigating, she's being intelligent, she's being clever, she's being tactful, discreetful, um, she can handle herself in a fight. And then we have uh, Betty Carver, um, you know, the triage nurse, being surrounded by Nazis all the time, having to be helped by men all the time, um, is promoting a sewing machine, which I thought was, you know, I mean, it was a real funny touch, but mm-hmm. again, you know, promoting all these things that they expect women to be involved in or to like, uh, which may not necessarily be the case. And I love that, and I think especially then... You had the the juxtaposition between Peggy Carter and her fight with McPhee as the radio is playing in the background. And again, Betty Carver on the radio is being really helpless uh, and needs to be saved by men. And I just think this is a really clever way of, of... just highlighting that again and just reinforcing that point that you know this needs to be borne in mind probably throughout the whole of the season that... Agent Carter, Peggy Carter, is, in a sense, a trailblazer of her time. Uh, That's what they're trying to, I think, get here. Mm. Um, And I think there's some other nice little um, touches here that, you know, it was brought... I mean, I suspect Howard Stark and probably even Captain America would be turning um, in their graves or or frozen graves (laughs) or whatever... Because it's brought to the the world, it's brought to America by rocks on motor oil. So I, I just thought that was a, a nice little kind of, you know, touch having sort of it marketed and sponsored by this really, I suppose, evil corporate um, entity in Roxon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Definitely one that, that I had as well. Um, something that really got me was uh, was that opening line of the radio show, which is, uh, which is Betty is cleaning up while the men defend the country, uh, which is such a such a terrible way to put it. And you can tell by the face on Peggy Carter when it comes back to her in the in the coffee shop. She absolutely believes that they've taken her name and they've just changed a few letters and then turned her into this helpless woman. When she's here in this radio show, the face, the look on Haley Atwell when she sees or when she is hearing the radio broadcast is fantastic. Really, really like that. Thought that was uh, that was quite interesting. Yeah, and I think it's really good that there's there's two or three times where Peggy is like somewhere where this is playing and she's like turn that off, 
I can't believe that's on again, this drivel. And you have in the car where Jarvis says, well, I actually quite like it. And, mm-hmm. you know, Peggy's like, turn it off. And again, with Angie in the diner at the start, it's like, we switched channels, you know, again. And Angie's more than willing to cooperate because she was actually beaten to the, the part of um, Betty Carver by... Uh, another lady, I can't remember her name now, but, you know, is a rival to, to Angie. Yeah. Um, and then again, while she's fighting Sheldon McPhee, it's just that absolute upfront contrast between the two, and she just can't believe that this drivel mm-hmm. is being played out, this stereotypical drivel is being played out, you know, while she is fighting and actually showing quite the opposite. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Really, really, really well put good. together. And the fact that they had the radio show doing the punches, showing how they're being made for a radio show. I always find that interesting. The old radio plays and how they were made. It's something that really interested me when I was a kid as well. Um, but showing that and essentially having those sound effects be the sound effects of her punching McPhee in the face was, was really good. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. So, Derek, what's your second point? Uh, you kind of mentioned her already, but my second point is Angie the Waitress. Um, played by Lindsay Fonseca. Right, Lindsay Fonseca, recognize that name too. Um, she was in Kick-Ass. She was the uh, the girlfriend of the main character, Dave, in Kick-Ass. So, uh, ah, yeah. yes. So a really, really different take for, uh, a really different part for that actress in this uh, in this TV show. Uh, I love Angie. I love her. I think it's a great character to contrast against, again, the, st- the non-stereotypical Peggy. Um, she is someone that is still working as a waitress. She's still uh, still trying to be an up-and-comer in the society in the U.S. Uh, as Peggy's gone off to war and come back. Uh, this is the kind of woman that, that she'd left behind, essentially. Someone that is, yes, she's working for herself in this job, but she is essentially just going through the motions and getting to a point, hopefully going to find a man and hopefully going to get that life. Maybe the best she could hope for is to be an actress kind of thing. Uh, I'm wondering what being the friend of Peggy Carter will do to her character will it help her to, to kind of break that mould will it help her to break out of just being the, the waitress essentially um, so a good friend for Peggy to have as well though because she doesn't have that many female friends it looks like she spends all her time around guys so uh, hopefully there'll be a good little uh, good little interplay between these two characters and I just do like how um, I suppose how tenacious uh, Angie is with trying to get Peggy to go and live in the same apartment block as her uh, she's really tenacious about it does make me question because of the type of show this is it does make me question whether angie is all truthful or whether she is potentially some type of plant from leviathan or from hydra kind of thing but i'm not too sure i'm not too sure i like the character too much (laughs) yeah but can you trust anyone i mean even jarvis is still slightly dubious after the end of uh, the first episode absolutely but yeah no i really liked uh, angie i liked her helping peggy to to look for a new place and really saying you know come and live in my kind of uh, apartment block which is a female only apartment block um, I really thought that was good. I also kind of like the standoffishness, actually, of Peggy, not because she doesn't like Angie, but it, it again, it echoes forward further in the episode, um, which is also one of my other points, so I'll, I'll leave it for now. But, you know, it Peggy is reluctant to get too invested in Angie, even though she r- seems to really like her, um, simply because... Um, she's afraid of putting her in danger like she did with Colleen. And, okay, there's a nice little touch opening up the newspaper to see an obituary to Colleen. You know, again, a a nice little touch there from from the producers and writers. Absolutely, and especially the the comment from Angie, just as Peggy sees the obituary, is you don't strike me as someone that cries in the hallway all the time. And you can tell that Peggy actually probably would have been on the verge of tears at seeing the, uh, the death of her former housemate in that paper but because Angie says something to her she books up and just moves on essentially so uh, that's that's quite cool I do love the scene with Angie I think my favourite moment with her in the whole entire episode is where she's introducing Peggy to some of the characters that are in uh, that are in the apartment block that she wants her to move in um, there's the the woman who works as a lawyer in, sorry the woman who works in a law office there's the woman who works in a restaurant and then there's Mary. Sure, she's a slut. You know? <laughs> a great little moment from Angie, just very out of nowhere uh, as she describes the people around her. Really, really good. Or a hussy, maybe. Should have said hussy. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One thing about Agent Carter is that it definitely wants to, want, makes me want to speak better than I normally do after watching an episode. <laughs> um, John, what's your next point? Uh, my next point actually kind of slightly links in as well, I think, to my first point, and that was the chase of Van Ert at Roxxon uh, mm. by Carter. And I think, you know, Carter ultimately wins the race, wins the day to bring down Van Ert after he's run off because he's been spotted with uh, Vita radiation um, on him. And uh, she beats Jack Thompson, Agent Thompson, and Chief Dooley um, to taking him down. Um, and I just thought it was really nice because it was that pause, think, and then she acts. Mm -hmm. Whereas the two lads just simply chased after him and I mean, there's a real nice touch, I think, with Asia, um, sorry, with Chief Dooley, um, where he just seems to be like dripping in sweat, you know, after she's just taken in, um, Vanna down with with a briefcase. And it's a really good little scene, and I, I kind of like that chase. It just showed the intelligence of Agent Carter. Absolutely, and I really, really like that so much. It was just a nice little um, chase and fight scene and I, I kind of just like that that's what that's my second point yeah i love that she just pauses asks where those stairs go realizes it's to the front door so why why rush you know <laughs> really good fun. yeah it's really just really fun. a classy a classy moment from um a classy lady um, and she just calmly takes it all in and then executes her manoeuvre to take down Van Ert, who, who's running uh, away. And I think actually as well, a really interesting thing there with, with Van Ert is in, him then in the interrogation or the interview room with the guys. And it is basically, it becomes quite a brutal interrogation of him mm. uh, where he's been punched really quite um, violently. And again, you, you then see this other element where... The Dooley and Sousa just say to Agent Carter, you shouldn't watch this and leave the room, you know. And she kind of right. says, play nice, boys, kind of almost while she's seen worse, probably during her days as a service woman in the army. Mm -hmm. She still respects being fair with prisoners, even, you know. Yep. So it was kind of an interesting touch to see uh, how... Uh, a female would react in that situation, whereas the guys are kind of, they've offered the carrot and now they're given the stick, literally, quite literally. Yeah, yeah, very different type of uh, police station in this episode than you would have seen uh, in any other any other time, I suppose. Uh, the 40s seem a much more brutal time, uh, really. I certainly wouldn't want to be holding back some information from Jack Thompson. He could beat it out of me pretty quickly, I would say. To be Just honest. a bit, yeah. <laughs> so, Derek, what's your next point? Um, my next point is about the chief. Um, there seems to be an absolute utter hatred of Howard Stark in Chief Dooley. Um, even with all uh, everything mounting up to say that it's most likely not Howard Stark, he's continuing to investigate Howard. Um, he, he doesn't drop the case against him. He's essentially been told, this is your job. You have to bring down Howard Stark. He's responsible for uh, for selling the weapons, he's responsible for creating the weapons. He's clearly the one responsible for these terrorist attacks that that they're starting to see, um, and he's not going to give up on it. He's he is pretty tenacious at it. I think it's quite interesting that that's Dooley has a suspect and he's going to make the crime fit the suspect rather than finding the actual suspect based on the evidence, which I think is an interesting quandary, I suppose, and a great setup for why Peggy is is going to be going. Uh, behind their backs and going to be going undercover to investigate other cases, essentially, to keep Howard out of their grip or out of their clutches, I suppose. Uh, good little setup for the for the episode, I thought. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it, it's a, it really makes uh, what Peggy is doing even more perilous and this idea that she might get caught. And if she does, she will essentially be labelled a, a traitor, um, anyway to um you know and she will be sort of locked up because of that and given the fact as well that she is actually i suspect a foreigner mm -hmm. in a sense working for this sort of supra um espionage agency that sort of predates shield but it is nonetheless is, is slightly different to um the cia or the fbi is really interesting yeah. because it puts her in a really perilous um, position and certainly in this episode you know there are moments where she comes very close in geographical proximity to 
the SSR agents on the trail of McPhee and uh, Brannis as well. The, these two guys who are essentially um, on the run and in cahoots in relation to the nitramine consignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Chief Tilly is definitely the, a really interesting character in this episode. You do see a couple of great lines from and great moments from as well in the episode. That the excellent moment as they pull up beside McPhee, uh, who's walking down, sorry, who's running down a road with a seat strapped to his back, and uh, and Dooley calls out, "That's that's definitely suspicious, isn't it?" Um, just thought a really really good moment. So enjoyed enjoyed him in this episode definitely. Um, John, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is Peggy's list. Um, I think it's got nice echoes of uh, Steve Rogers' list from Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously was um, different depending on which country you watch the movie in. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, in UK and Ireland, it had the Beatles down uh, as one of the the things that he must go and see or do um, after he had come out of the the popsicle. Mm-hmm. And um but here we have Peggy's list when she's undercover as a hygiene, a health inspector at the Daisy Clover Dairies. And um, I just really liked it. It just shows this list. Um, and it's like no reading, no reading, no reading, sort of all linking quite officially to her uh, Vita radiation readings that she's checking out across the entire plant. Mm-hmm. But then it comes to some... Very interesting items, essentially on a shopping list. So she suddenly is realizing, well, she needs orange uh, juice. Uh, but on there, you have PG Tips, mm-hmm. which is tea. And you have HP Sauce, which is brown sauce, <laughs> or, or Houses of Parliament sauce, um, as it's known. But HP, I short did, for. I did not know that the HP sauce was, was uh, yeah, yeah. called Houses of Parliament sauce. I don't eat it. That's, but, uh, that's why it has the... <laughs> Houses of Parliament and Big Ben on the front. Very good. Um, but I'm brown sauce. It's also known as brown sauce. Yeah. So. Um, and uh, I did notice a few um, omissions, though, like Marmite wasn't on it or <laughs> Bovril, which I thought, well, you know, they are a love-hate kind of thing. But um, I just thought it was a really nice um, uh, reference and echo to, to Steve Rogers again, that connection between Peggy and Captain America I thought was really good. Yeah. Um, I just also, I also make it also made me think that she, her mind was starting to wander and she was just starting to write a shopping list essentially. Yeah, she wasn't getting anywhere, and <laughs> like, all of a sudden oh. I've got to be productive somehow. Yeah. So she just decided she needed she needed a few bits and bobs, so she's just started writing them down. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a bit like uh, what I did today in my training course, actually. Um, <laughs> whilst I was there, um, I, I suddenly sort of went off for thirty minutes. I just kind of. Almost, I was still sat physically in the training room, but I just kind of, I just kind of drifted away from what was being said for for a while. Um, but yeah, I can understand why Peggy would uh, would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just quickly, another reference um, that was in the show, and just a big thank you to one of our Twitter um, followers who was tweeting with us uh, on Sunday when we were watching the episode on Fox TV in in the UK, um, was that she um, tells Sousa to Agent Sousa to bet on, on a horse, uh, and the name of the horse is Whitby's Prospect. Um, and funny enough, like most things um, British, it's surrounding a pub. Um, it's connected to a pub name. Um, but it is from a film um, from 1956 called The Sixth of June D-Day. And that is a film um, which is all about a US soldier and an English servicewoman falling in love. Mm. A really, really good connection that was spotted there by Andrew. So thanks so much, Andrew. Andrew Wilson, who was uh, tweeting with us. Uh, thank you so much for that. It was a really good um, spot and a really nice reference to, again, this whole link between Captain America, Steve Rogers, and Peggy Carter. Loved it. Really liked that. Such a nice little bit of info. Absolutely. But what an Easter egg. So essentially the Easter egg was that there was a horse in the paper that she asked to be bet on uh, called the Whitby... Whitby's Prospect. Whitby, Whitby's Prospect, which is named after a pub in the 1950s about a woman who's in a similar situation to Peggy Carter. Yes. That's some deep Easter egg in there. Exactly, and that's where they meet at 
Whitby's Prospect. Love it. Love and apparently it. it's one of the oldest uh, pubs, 16th century pub on the River Thames, right. uh, just outside of London. Maybe just in London, but on, on the boundary there. So really interesting little uh, reference and Easter egg there, definitely. Absolutely. Good catch, Andrew. And uh, good writing, Eric Pearson, I think. Uh, we'll Absolutely. <laughs> I wonder if this is one of the things that perhaps James Darcy and... Uh, and Hayley Atwell added to the script to add a little extra touch of Britishness, perhaps. But I don't know. Derek, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is the big bad for this episode, the quiet men of Leviathan, as uh, as Agent Carter calls them. Um, really interesting. Well, she definitely calls them the quiet men. Anyway, I'm not too sure if she knows it, that they're connected to Leviathan until towards the end. Probably does. Um, but yeah, they're, they're terrifying villains, particularly the guy in the yellow suit, um, the Particularly the guy in the green suit. I mix up my colours there. <laughs> Are you colourblind? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Um, but yeah, particularly him. I think he's pretty gruesome in this episode. He, um, You can see him torturing a man for information with a knife in his hand, um, which is really gruesome and really dark for this for this show. I, I thought it might be a little bit lighter than we've seen in some of the other some of the other shows that we watch. And then, um, of course, it pans back to see his dead wife with a bullet through his head. So it's like... Okay, this is properly dark. Yeah, yeah, as he also puts a gunshot into the man's head, even though he's given him the information. Um, yeah, there's some really dark stuff uh, going on with, uh, with the man in the green suit. Um, really enjoyed him, though, and really, uh, really kind of terrifying when you have a character that won't speak but is able to question someone um, as deeply as he's able to question this guy. And then, yeah, goes on the rampage after Peggy and obviously Jarvis and, and Branis, the other quiet man. Um, you know, he doesn't seem to have the same level of uh, of scary torture ability about him. It seems that, you know, if you're willing to, to put his voice box up against his neck, he'll tell you pretty much as many secrets as he can. Uh, it looked at the end of the episode as if Branis was going to tell her all the information about Leviathan. But unfortunately, the voice box had broken, so he couldn't reveal any further information to her and then drew that famous little symbol on the ground. Um or now infamous little symbol, I suppose. I have no idea what it's connected to. I no. presume it's Leviathan symbol. We may find out more about it. That is one of my points as well, that symbol that was drawn in the dirt, um, which is basically, it looks like a heart with a line, a squiggly line drawn through it, which could be a snake, mm -hmm. a serpent of some description. So, yeah, what is that symbol? I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but presumably... It could be something connected to Leviathan. I mean, another interesting thing on Leviathan quickly as well was that from the typewriter, we got to find out that Leviathan is a person rather than maybe just a code name, simply a code name, or it's a code name of a person rather than an organization or a thing. Mm -hmm. Because um, the typewriter comes back with Leviathan grows impatient. So either that's Leviathan replying or his go-between on the other end of the typewriter. But Leviathan grows impatient. So Very interesting. they have an emotion, they have a response. This is obviously a person of some description or an entity mm -hmm. of some description. And so I thought that was um, really interesting. And we also do find out from uh, Peggy and from Jarvis that neither... The SSR nor Stark Industries have any record on anything with a code name or absolutely anything with Leviathan as mm -hmm. the title. So this is a new threat potentially or an up till now unseen threat that has been lurking there in the shadows or yeah. in the deep. Um, so I really sort of thought that was good. And then this symbol just adds even more mystery to it. So mm -hmm. it was really, really good. But yeah, that was definitely one of my points was the symbol in the dirt. Yeah, Leviathan is coming. Yeah, I'm trying to stay spoiler free on the future episodes of, of the show. So I'm trying not to look up things like Leviathan. I'm, I'm pretty much assuming if I Googled Leviathan Agent Carter now, it would give me the answer exactly what episode it gets revealed in, but I don't want to do that. So uh, the only connection I can think of right now off the top of my head is uh, Nick Fury's um, Secret Warriors. Uh, there was a, one of the bad guys in that series was Leviathan. So um, so I'm thinking there may be some connection there, but these guys feel much more Cold War era, much more, um, much more of Agent Carter's era type of bad guys, whereas Leviathan was a bit more of a super powered villain. So um, so I'm not I'm, I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens 
as it comes up. I'm looking forward to mm. Leviathan coming around. Derek, what's your final point then? Oh, so many to choose from in this episode. There's so so much interesting stuff in here. Um, but really, the guest stars for this episode is one of my uh, one of my big points. Um, just because they jumped out at me, um, having the head of Roxana Oil played by. Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks, uh, who's Ray Wise. Um, the minute I see that character, because of the years I watched Twin Peaks, the two seasons that yeah. that was on many years ago, I always think of him as a really scary character, even though he was the father of Laura Palmer. Um, he, t- he generally had quite an, quite an okay story in the show, but it did go quite crazy like every other character in the show by the end of the second season. So I find it difficult to take him as anything other than a shady businessman <laughs> essentially so him being cast as the head of Roxanne Oil was perfect <laughs> absolutely with Roxanne Oil behind him yeah yeah shady absolutely. Um, definitely shady, um, shady to me but a bit of a Twin Peaks alumni going on here and within the um, the Marvel TV universe with Kyle McLaughlin as well in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that's right yeah, yeah. he played uh, he played Agent Dale Cooper who's a central character probably of uh of Twin Peaks, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just need Laura Palmer showing up in <laughs> AKA Jessica Jones and it will be proper Twin Peaks all around for Marvel's TVU. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just thought it was great, great little bit of casting, definitely. Uh, and one other one, because a lot of people were asking about this, definitely, is the, the actor who plays Sheldon McPhee. Um, I had to look him up, I had to see where he was from because I recognized the face so well just from my childhood. Um, he played. Kevin McAllister's older brother in the Home Alone films. He was the big bully in uh, in Home Alone 1, um, which I thought was quite interesting that he's now ah, the guy okay, getting beaten okay, up by yeah, a woman, yeah. uh, which is quite good, you know? A good little touch. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty interesting. So um, a few little uh, blasts from the past in this episode. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I absolutely love about that character of McPhee is that he won't give up the person who beat him up because it was a woman. And again, like most of the men at the time, if you say it's a woman that beat you up, uh oh, the guys are gonna are, are are gonna laugh at you essentially. But we know, obviously, Peggy's been to war. We know how much of a how much of a fighter she is. She's a well trained fighter. Obviously, she's gonna be able to take out anybody. She'd be able to take out me pretty pretty quickly, I'm sure. Um, so I don't think there's any shame in saying he got beaten up by Peggy Carter. But uh, but for this guy, the shame was too, was enough for him to keep silent on the connection. I wonder how long he'll keep that secret. I wonder. Uh, John, what's your final point? My final point um, links back to uh, what we were talking about with Angie and this um, reluctance to engage emotionally with other people for for Peggy. And it all comes about with Jarvis, who's stitching up her wounds that she she got after fighting the the man in the green suit uh, on top of the 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 Daisy Clover truck mm-hmm. um, and I just thought it was really really kind of uh, nice and touching because I think it, it demonstrated it illustrated Peggy's emotional loss both with um, Steve Rogers but also with Colleen and, and then she feels it necessary to protect other people like Angie but in this case as well even Jarvis by saying that she can do everything and I just really like Jarvis calling her out on it as well, you know, to say, I don't know whether you're being arrogant or ignorant. I can't tell. And he says that to her. You know, it's this idea that um, no man or woman can carry the world on their shoulders. Um, and, you know, he, he tells her, you know, from what I've heard, you were Captain America's support, both from a strategic and an emotional point of view. And all of that really... Um, you know, starts to just make Peggy realise or hopefully makes her realise that, you know, she needs help just as much as she gives help to other people. Yeah. Um, you know, she does say, I don't want to put others in danger, you know, referencing Colleen and Steve. And I just thought it was a really, really nice scene between these two. And I think, you know, it really cements their relationship and team up as well together now don't get me wrong there's still questions over what Jarvis was uh, referring to when he was on the phone and um, to Howard Stark mm. again but um, it really does help cement their, their team up and I really really like that and I, I thought it was nice that you know he's not deferential to her he's 
speaking to her as an equal. And yeah. again, I think that was really, really good. And I like how it links back to her, um, you know, emotional bruising with Steve Rogers and her recent emotional bruising with Colleen being killed and um, because, in a sense of her, she feels. And so I just thought it was a really nice um, scene, a yeah. really good scene uh, between the two of them. Definitely, definitely. This is the scene that, that made me cry in this episode, uh, I must admit. That's a really, really good moment, and, and they just play it so perfectly together. You can tell that, that James Darcy and, uh, and Hayley Atwell have known each other for years. They've just got a great shorthand just with the reactions to how each other speaks. You know, they're, they're really, really good moments, definitely. Yeah, lovely. Really liked it. So, Derek, have you got any notes? A couple of little notes on the, on the the episode itself, stuff that's just popped in kind of thing, but not resolved within the episode. Um, Susan now has a copy of the photographs of uh, of the woman in uh, the woman with the blonde hair from Spiders Club. I think that's quite interesting. They still haven't found out that it's Peggy, but uh, I wonder will there be a little more investigation into that one. Um, very intrigued by that. Um, they also d- discover the key to the Hotel Cosmopol at the end of the episode. So this is the key. I think it was dropped by the guy in the green suit, I think, is is where it came from. Uh, it was either been him or Branis because it was around the fight uh, that was going on. But I presume, again, we're going to have a side-by-side investigation next week with the SSR continuing their investigation just as Peggy does. So uh, that's going to be really enjoyable. Um and then the introduction of the Griffith Hotel, I thought was a great moment. Uh, really enjoyed the uh, the owner of this hotel telling everybody that this is a haven for young women. No men are allowed above the fifth floor. Uh, and this is where Peggy is reduced to living now. She's essentially been a woman on her own, fighting in a war, and now she's been reduced to living in a place that is essentially just preparing women to be married. And that's it. Yeah. Have a place to stay until they get married and can go and live with their with their husband. And that's it. Very interesting things to come, I think. And hopefully the fifth floor isn't a euphemism. <laughs> John, do you have any notes about this episode? Yeah, I've got a few points. I think, firstly, I love the little history between uh, Roxon and Stark Industries. The fact that it was over um, his ex-wife, the head of Roxon's ex-wife, you know, Harris Stark being the playboy as ever, mm-hmm. helps cause this huge corporate uh, rivalry just because he's sleeping around. Um, and, of course, we see that at the start with the whole little skimpy number coming out um, from the the apartment that is off the books. Um, and so I thought that was really nice little bit of history. Um, I loved the line by Jack Thompson as well, where he goes, um, somebody knows what we know before we know it, and it's really beginning to chat my ass. I just thought it was a really good line. I love, in a nutshell, in kind of the speak of the 40s, it really just seemed to encompass everything that the SSR, the other agents of the SSR, must be feeling at this moment, that they're getting beaten at every point uh, to the end. Um, and it's like, how is this happening? So a really nice little line. Um, I thought that was was really good. Yeah. Um, and then of course the the big thing, which is the number plate. The mm-hmm. Krasminski, you know, has been assigned to go through this huge ball of concrete, wood, and metal by uh, Chief Dooley. Um, and uh, as we kind of discussed briefly on the last episode, yeah. that. There in amongst it is the bumper and the number plate of the Stark getaway vehicle. That's right. And it's a really, re- yeah, it's a really good, um, really good little point there um, of of detail. I think which was great. I, I thought that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. One last thing for me, and just just a little bit of uh, of disbelief, I suppose. Um, just about as the uh, nitramine falls off the side of the cliff and goes into the ocean, essentially. We saw last week that one ball of that nitramine took down the entire Roxanne oil plant, yet an entire truck full of it essentially created a similar ball. I thought it would have blown up the entire eastern seaboard if, if one truck of that got out. Um, it seemed a little inconsistent that, that the whole place just didn't explode, uh, essentially killing everybody in its path. But sure, hey, we'll put that on hold for uh, for this week. You never know what might happen. Yeah, well, you can't have the end of Peggy Carter in episode two (laughs) and Jarvis and the SSR and the whole Marvel Universe because everyone's been killed on the Eastern Seaboard. That's true, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, I know what you're saying, definitely. But I think with that, 
Derek, do you defend episode two of Agent Peggy Carter? I do defend this episode. Yeah, really good episode. I think it had some really good connections. As I said earlier on, the uh, the side-by-side investigation between the SSR and Peggy Carter as they try to get to their goal of McPhee, essentially, the uh, the driver of the truck. Um, the other investigation with the man in the green suit trying to detect, trying to find Leap Branis as well. Um, are they on the same side? Were they on the same side or, or not is the is the question I obviously have at the end of the episode. Um, really interesting. We may never get to know. We probably will, but uh, both of them are now dead, so um, we're probably not going to get the stories from them. Um, but yeah, really interesting episode. I'm really intrigued to see what, what is happening going forward. And again, just to repeat, I absolutely love that they brought in people that have been involved with Agent Carter previously to this and have dealt with her really well in the past and you could tell the love and care that's going into this show uh, so far so I can't wait for next week's episode John, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I most certainly do, I thought this was absolutely a fantastic um, episode actually Um, and really good and I would give it um, four and a half bottles of HP sauce out of five. Um, I just really, really liked it. It set up a load of intrigue with this symbol about Leviathan, and it's still keeping Leviathan under wraps. It adds a bit more peril to what Jarvis and Peggy are doing. And I don't mean from necessarily just Leviathan, but also uh, from the fact that the SSR are investigating the same incidents and there's parallel investigations going on and that really um, puts Peggy's position in quite a perilous place within the SSR. I love how the writers are treating um, this great female character who is full of class, full of intelligence uh, and just putting that and setting that against this this chauvinistic sort of male-dominated society in different ways um, and, and in clever ways and is really, really good, I think. I thought in particular the Captain America Adventure Program and how that was done was really good. Mm-hmm. I love the connections to Steve Rogers and, and the Captain America films such as Peggy's List. But also, then, for me, I thought one of the best scenes so far, which was the Jarvis and Peggy moment where he's mending her wounds and stitching them up. And just that conversation, in a nutshell, was fantastic. And it really helped cement these two characters. Um, And there were just so many other little bits that I just really, really liked. Um, Just little points like the chase of Van Ert, uh, like uh, Branis trying to say, um, trying to give information, but his his voice recorder is is broken. Just these nice little touches. And again, having rocks on there, which is such a big bad, and, and having that play out really, really well. And I just think... The writing, again, remains hugely strong. Um, and so I really liked it. And that's why I give it slightly more than, than last week because I just thought it built on it really well and moved the story along but still left an awful lot of intrigue about what's going to happen. So it'll be interesting to see how um, it progresses, definitely. I really like this episode. Yeah. Yeah, really, really good. Really, really good. With that, I think we're going to go on to our feedback for this week. Yes, we have feedback. Yes, we do. And our feedback, unfortunately, a lot of it is about Ant-Man. So um, if you have not watched Ant-Man, we'll try to keep it as spoiler-free as we possibly can. Um, But I know there's a couple of spoilers in there that some people wanted to talk about. Um, So essentially, go out and watch Ant-Man. Listen to our Ant-Man podcast and then come back and you can hear this feedback, I suppose, is the best way to do it. Absolutely. Um, And... Whilst you're um, going out and watching Ant-Man, just, again, a quick shout-out to Andrew Wilson on Twitter who gave us the the reference to um, Agent Carter's um, uh, Whitby's prospect uh, call for Sousa where she tells him to back the horse. Really nice little reference. We've dealt with that in, in the main part. We thought it was so good. Um, definitely um, just a shout-out there. But he does have another little point and that is the PG tips that I had picked from um, Peggy's list as she is investigating the Daisy, the Daisy Clover dairies um, 
has PG Tips on it. That's a T in the UK for any of the, our American listeners. PG Tips is um, a, an English breakfast tea that you can get in the supermarkets. And um, Elevens is tea and lunchtime tea. And <laughs> second breakfast. Is, yeah, <laughs> exactly. High tea, low tea, in between tea. Um, absolutely. Loads of tea. Um, but um, it was very interesting. Uh, he goes, it's a nice touch, although... Uh, Peggy Carter will have to wait a couple of years for her tea to exist mm. um, because it wasn't as a brand out just then. But still, really nice touch. Good gag. Yeah, yeah. good gag. Good gag. But thank you for, for that, Andrew, um, for, for pointing that out. That was really good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so if you want to send us your own feedback, you can send feedback to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Uh, the next piece of feedback is about our Ant-Man podcast and does contain a bit of spoilers. Uh, so, we got some feedback from Ronaldo on Twitter, one of our long-term listeners. Great to hear from you, Ronaldo. Um, he says, great review, Defenders, about Ant-Man. Uh, glad you rate it near Guardians. Some reviews I read are pretty harsh on it, uh, but it has to be remembered it doesn't have the privilege of, of such a spectacular backdrop as Guardians of the Galaxy. Still, the brief view of the subatomic world got me real excited, too. Just like John, I think. Yes. <laughs> Doctor Strange, I cannot stop saying it. I can't wait. So excited to see that the alternate dimensions at the subatomic level. Mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch, come on, <laughs> put on that mustache, grey those sideburns, get the pick your nose collars of that cape and the eye of Agameto. If you and want more of this, listeners, you can go back and listen to our Ant-Man podcast. Yes. Um, I, I won't go on anymore, but yeah, no, I was so excited by that. Totally agree with you, Ronaldo. Mm. Um, so, so exciting. Even though it was a brief, but it was a taster. Just like the reference to Stephen Strange in Captain America Winter Soldier. Oh, it just got me salivating. I was like, oh, <laughs> brilliant. Great. All right. Uh, Ronaldo goes on to say that he also loved the name Redacted versus Ant-Man fight. He loves that particular character, uh, but he was still rooting for Lang. Uh, he totally agrees about the post credit scenes. Both were excellent and worth sitting through. Uh, oh, too many spoilers. Uh, I'm going to leave it there, but thanks so much, Ronaldo. Um, go watch Ant-Man. Go stay for the last two post credit sequences. There are two definitely worth a watch uh, to stay to stay in for there. Uh, and and another great surprise as well within the within the movie that I think you'll all enjoy as well. Definitely, definitely. We had um, some more feedback on Twitter from uh, again one of our long time listeners, Rebecca Brudeau. Um So apparently, um, it's Womance, not Cismance or Ladymance, yeah. um, but Womance. So Irene, one of our other um, podcasters, was saying that she really liked uh, Evangeline Lilly, who plays Hope Van Dyne in uh, Ant-Man. And she was thinking that it was almost uh, like a bromance, but obviously woman to woman. Um, And so we were going through cis-mance, sister-mance, lady-mance, all everything except, and Rebecca has hit it <laughs> neatly on the head, mm-hmm. uh, romance. romance. Of course it is. Yeah. Um, she goes on to say, it's pretty ugly compared to bromance, though. I knew I'd heard a female version. You got me in research mode as I work, and I should thank you for providing me with a soundtrack to work by this morning, um, just finished. So that's really nice. Thank you, Rebecca, for that feedback. And I think we used um, we we had the similar kind of position on our Hannibal podcast as well, where we were trying to think of what um, a, a female bromance was going to be. But now we know it's romance, yeah. and that fits very nicely indeed. Thank you so much, Rebecca. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, our last piece of feedback comes in this week from Jellybean, uh, who sent some feedback actually to another podcast, but it's about it's about this. It's about essentially all of our connected podcasts. So I thought I should. Uh, read it out on here as well Uh, she says I just listened to your Ant-Man podcast it was great Uh, it was there when I checked on Saturday directly after seeing the film which is awesome Um, I didn't know about the Wasp or where it fits in with the MCU etc great to have that information I like that you weren't as down on it as some of the reviews were Uh, no need great family fun I have downloaded some of your other podcasts now, including Hannibal Season 3, which John does with Irene, uh, and Daredevil, which uh, you guys have probably heard by now. The first, uh, first, all 13 episodes are covered on here. 
Really looking forward to watching Hannibal along with you for the rest of the season. Saw the Comic-Con was up on iTunes on Tuesday too. You guys are totally on point. Uh, I like the format. I know. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jelly Bean. I like the format and things are sounding less stiff and formal than the earlier ones. Uh, it's a great rapport between the hosts too. I think they might be talking about you and Irene on, uh, on Hannibal. But uh, hey, I I'll think take so. the compliment as well. <laughs> uh, listening away to you here keep it up now keep me entertained oh the challenge has been been thrown down ciao indeed thank you so much Jellybean for that um, certainly we'll be bringing um, your feedback up as well on our Hannibal podcasts that myself and Irene do Derek edits and and produces it so Mm -hmm. um, that's a a really uh, nice connection to all our podcasts the only one missing from that is Gotham um, which we also do me and Derek Mm -hmm. do Gotham TV podcast but it's it's really nice I mean certainly I just on some of the points I absolutely loved Ant-Man I thought it was a great movie I wasn't expecting um i wasn't i didn't really know what i was going to expect from it and obviously as i said troubled history but i just really really liked it and you could see the flavor of edgar wright there Um, so i really enjoyed it and i I think actually the the less i know about a film sometimes the better it becomes it's something i think that christopher nolan has always done very well uh, to keep things under wraps Mm -hmm. and then it becomes a surprise. And, I mean, you you like it or dislike it on its own merits rather than because it's been set up in such a razzmatazz way in the trailers, and then it just doesn't really pack that punch. And um, certainly, I actually would prefer Ant-Man to um, Age of Ultron, if I'm honest, for for this year. Mm. Um, And it was mainly for that very uh, same reason, um, I think. Uh, But I loved Ant-Man. Great family fun, and I think, uh, yeah, I think we were all, all three of us were very positive about Ant-Man, so definitely go and check it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things I have noticed from some of the reviews that I've read is that there seems to be this impression that the film would have been ten times better if Edgar Wright had actually gotten to direct it in the end. Um, it seemed to be that, that they're predisposed to dislike it because Edgar Wright didn't work on the film. You know, I don't know. I, I have no idea what that film would have looked like. I don't know whether it would have fit as well into the Marvel Cinematic Universe as this film does. And that kind of is the intention of these films is to to work well together as a big, you know, as, as pieces of a big jigsaw puzzle, I suppose. Um, but this stood out as something very different as well as also fitting into the MCU. It did stand out as some very different characters that we haven't seen before and really enjoyable. So I couldn't be down in a film like that. It gave me two and a half hours of entertainment. So um, what... Yeah, uh, fantastic. What, what more can you want? Just that? like Agent Carter... A little ray of sunshine Absolutely. on a Sunday before the working week starts, just mm-hmm. to cap off the weekend. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, we'll leave you for this week. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcasts, the Defenders TV Podcast.com slash iTunes will get you all the Marvel podcasts. Gotham TV Podcast.com slash iTunes will get you our DC Gotham related podcasts. And TV Podcast Industry.com slash iTunes will get Hannibal and other related TV shows as they come out. Yeah, so again, thank you so much for listening. Um, As always, it's a pleasure. Um, And I think I will leave you with a Hannibalism, which is ciao. (laughs) Thanks very much, John. Toodle pip. Toodaloo.